Welcome to the I Love Music Podcast. My name is Jen Fedor. I started the I Love Music Podcast to inspire people who love music, encourage people who work within the industry, and to hear each person's unique story. For this episode, I got to interview Grammy award-winning songwriter and producer Daryl Simmons. He has worked with Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, Tony Braxton, and TLC, along with so many other legendary artists. He co-wrote and co-produced Boys to Men's most successful song to date, End of the Road, that won a Grammy award for best R&B song in 1992. We had such a great conversation talking about his journey, about how he met and worked with LaFace Records production duo L.A. Reed and Kenneth Babyface Edmonds. We also cover songwriting, working with Whitney and Michael, and so much more. For all the latest on what Daryl is up to, visit DarylSimmons.com. We had a few technical difficulties and had to do this interview by Skype, so there's a few times where you might hear a little lag in the conversation because of the internet but it's minimal. Stick around for some amazing stories. We had such a fun conversation. Let's get into his interview. Well, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So you grew up in Indianapolis. Indianapolis, Indiana, 15 minutes from the Speedway track. What, What was it like growing up in Indianapolis? What was the music scene like? Uh, it was a real big club scene. Everybody played in a band back then when we were growing up. When I say we, I mean Kenny and I. So I refer to we as Kenny Edmonds, Babyface and I. Uh, everybody had a band. You go go down one street, you'll hear music. We'd run to see who was playing in their garage. People were known for setting up outside and just playing. Uh, wasn't like concerts. It was just people had a band. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Let's start a band. It's like, okay. And so eventually, of course, we had a band. And that's what it was. It was just bands on everywhere you went. Everybody had a band. Somebody had a band. What was your first band that you like put together or that you were a part of? First band, I was actually in a band. I did. I never put a band together. I wasn't I wasn't the leader type back then growing up, but I was kind of a shy kid. And I actually played in a band with Kenny's brother. Kenny had an older brother. Okay. Michael, he owned the guitar. And it's funny that you ask that because we played was in this band I was in and and I would always ask them why don't we get a singer we need a singer because I love singing in songs like no we don't need a singer and I asked Michael I said well I heard your brother could sing and I did I had her I had not met Kenny yet and so I asked Michael I said I heard your brother could sing goes no no we don't need to get him in the group and I said okay and uh so that was like the first real band. It's actually how I met Kenny because at that rehearsal place, once again, our band was rehearsing outside just for the hell of it. Have a show, you just you just practiced all the time. And so our rehearsal was over and I was out there tearing down my drums because I played drums at the time. And Kenny and these other two guys walked up and that's how I met him. Oh my gosh, that's so great. <laughs> I love yeah. stories like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I met him that way. And later on, years later, I learned that he he said, Michael used to tell him, do not touch my guitar. You will never be as good as me on guitar. That's what Michael wow. would tell him. He's oh my God. But he, was, he would sneak and practice with it. And he got very good. As we all know, the rest is history. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? So oh that's my gosh. How that kind of started. Yeah, yeah, good story. What was What was the name of the band? Or... Were there the a couple band, different bands? And that I played in with Michael. And then Kenny wanted me to join his band that day when I met them. And I liked him and them because they were more my age, more my speed. His brother Michael was older and I yeah. was the youngest. So I adapted to Kenny and another guy named Emmanuel. And Emmanuel had a brother named William and they sang. And I said, yeah, I'd like to be in y'all's band. Y'all kind of like think like I do and blah, blah, blah. So that group was called The Elements. Okay. And I cool. played drums in the elements and Kenny was the leader. Okay. And he he yeah. put it together and he he gonna do this and that. And so he was kind of the spearhead of the element. Another funny story is I played drums and Kenny goes, Well, I think you should come off the drums because you have a big afro like the Jackson Five and we need what? you to sing out front. And I'm like, I can't sing out front, I'm too damn terrified. He goes, yeah. Well, you look better. We'll look better if you're out front because you have a big afro. I said, well, I got to get something to put in front of me. So I borrowed this guy's kunga drum and set it on top of a brick because I felt more secure. I was hiding behind something. Yeah. And I ended up being 
a percussion from doing that. You know, I took to wow. it, became a really good That's, percussionist. I played yeah. percussion on a lot of the records, uh, a lot of our old photos. Yeah, I, I'm, I found this old picture of us in a park. I got one kunga drum sitting up on a brick. But I ended up falling in love with playing percussion, and I ended up being a really decent percussionist because of that. So, you know, oh. that was it. That's so cool. <laughs> I, had a, I had a big afro. Who knew? <laughs> like, from that moment, yeah. did you know you wanted to be, like, you know, a musician, an artist? Were you, like, Absolutely. from that moment? Yeah. Absolutely. It was just that that's what it was because Kenny and Emmanuel, the other guy who started with us, we all had this hunger to just what we called make it. You know what I'm saying? We yeah. just we just admired the Jackson Five. We admired all these bands, and we wanted to we wanted to do that. We wanted to be that. But it was so strong. When Kenny and I even talk about it today, it's like really crazy because we didn't have a plan. We didn't know really what we were doing, and to to want something like that, and to stay on it and never give it up. Right. That was pretty incredible. I mean, we were like, I was 15 when right. I met him. So he was 14. Yeah. But we had this hunger to be successful in music, and we had no idea how to do it. If you think about it back then, there was nothing. There was nothing right. that you had to even go to. Uh, we, But we knew as at an early age, for some reason, I just knew. I said, man, this is what I want to do is be a musician. But then later, when I would listen to records... I wanted to, I had a curiosity of how the songs got to the, to the artist. And so that's, that's where my, my songwriting interest came. I wanted to know, okay, what's that process? How does that music end up on that piece of plastic? What is your songwriting process like? Kenny played guitar. So Kenny primarily, and, ha and has always been the person that came up with the initial ideas. And he had the guitar, so it was easy. He was always walking around with the guitar. So early days, he would say, hey, I got this idea. He'd walk to my house, we'd work on it. Then we'd walk to his house and work on it, walk back and forth, and that was it. We didn't have any way to record it. Uh, you know, Eventually, he got a little, you know, the little cassette recorder, and you record it with a mic, and we'd sing it out of the air. And later, I bought a piano. Okay. I, I, I went into a mall. And I said, wow, I said, I always wanted a piano and couldn't afford it. Back then they had layaway. You could put something on a layaway. <laughs> I and remember so, layaway. Yeah. Yeah. So go into this music, you know, one of those chinchy music stores that teaches guitar lessons that's in the mall, but mm -hmm. they had this Baldwin piano, upright piano. It was beautiful, beautiful wood. And I said, how much is that piano? And I forget what it was. It was probably back then seven or 800 bucks. Of course, I didn't have that. And he said, but you can pay on it. I'm like, I can pay on it. Really? Wow. And yeah. so I paid on it until I owned it. And they showed up at my house. And my mother goes, what is that? I said, I bought a piano. And she goes, where are you going to put it? And I said, I'm going to put it in the living room. She says, no, you're not. You're going to oh, put no. that in my, in my living room. I'm like, oh, shit, what am I going to do now? So they deliver the piano. It's sitting in the driveway. And I said, can I put it in the den? Because we had a den, you know, added to the house. Okay. Yeah. Sort of like the romper room, the rough room. She yeah, goes, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Put it, you can put it in there. Kenny and I pushed it through the grass around the house. Probably ruined it. Didn't even know what we were doing. We pushed yeah. this piano around the house and got it inside. Oh, my gosh. And, and that started my songwriting on the piano. And, of course, Kenny played as well. He would come over right. and he would pick out chords. I would pick out little chords. And that was the songwriting process between the piano and him playing the guitar. And then we both just stayed at it. We both just stayed sitting at that piano until we could formulate little chords and eventually the chords turned into little songs and you know, Kenny would come up with melodies and I was writing lyrics and that was the process. And ironically, it's pretty much the same. I remember a few months ago we were writing in Kenny's writing room, he says, do you realize that we've been doing the same thing the same way for like 40 something years? That's so and cool. I said, and I was like, damn, I really never thought of it. He said, maybe we were in a closet, a garage, right. a back porch. But the process of it, of sitting down, of how we start, yeah. that process has never has never wavered. It's never wavered after all these years. It's still the same. It's like, sit at the piano, see if you can come up with an idea. And there you go. Okay, yeah. got an idea. It's just that simple.
Yeah, you know? that's so good. How, yeah. so what was the process of making your way like to Atlanta then? Like what, like. Oh, that's a long, that's a, that process way before Atlanta was, we were in Indianapolis. Okay. And we had joined a really successful club band called Manchild. And this band was already formed with older guys. Our band kind of wasn't doing much anymore. Some of the guys were going away to college. It sort of fizzled. So this group, Manchild, asked Kenny to join. And we yeah. had played with them before. Their brother played with us. One of their brothers played with us, but he had to go off to college. So they asked Kenny to play with them because he was a really good guitar player. People don't realize Kenny was not a singer. Kenny is a guitar player. Like Lionel Richie is a saxophone player. Yeah. Lionel Richie is not a piano player. He's a saxophone player. He's a saxophone player in the Commodores, and he sang. That, right. that was it. That was yeah. his role. Yeah, he yeah, wasn't yeah. Lionel Richie sit at the piano dude. So they asked Kenny to join. And I was like, wow, what am I going to do? You know, the band had fizzled. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was kind of down in the dumps. And so I started to going to rehearsals with Kenny because we were best friends. So I would just go and hang out, watch him rehearse. And one day somebody said, hey, man, you know what? You might as well bring your percussion stuff and just play with us. So that so the story goes is that I snuck into that band. Okay. I actually didn't earn it. I just kind of because they had really good musicians in that band. The guys were yeah. a couple of years older than Kenny and I. A guy named Reggie Griffin was an incredible musician. His his uh, uncle was Clifford Brown, an old jazz trumpeter that okay. played with all those guys, Quincy, and he played with all those people. And so he and he was a just this gifted musician that I learned. Kenny and I actually learned so much from because he was already recording. He had an right. eight track machine. And we'd go downstairs and he'd be had recorded this song that he wrote. We'd be like, how the hell did you do that? Because he played all the instruments, yeah. you know, like Prince. He could play the drums. He'd lay the drums and he'd play the bass. And so we were in amazement. So we would stand around and watch him. And so we just kind of started picking up the recording techniques and the, and the songwriting, crafting of what he was doing. And that's kind of like really how the, the recording part started for us. And yeah. just and he taught us a lot about recording, about rhythm and being in the pocket and things being in tune. And he just was like he was that guy. He was That's that guy so that, cool. where the where the light bulb went off. And it was just like, wow, OK, I get it. it had yeah. to work for it, had to really work. Right. At it, but yeah, as far as the, the foundation, I would say that we both learned that from him. And then applied those things to ourselves when we eventually broke away. So um, to get you how we got here was yeah that band was very successful. We recorded two albums that were sort of had some mild success regionally in okay. the Midwest. And then things stopped happening with that band. And Kenny left because Kenny was frustrated. He quit. And that was really terrifying because now I'm older. We've been playing right. in these clubs. I'm like, oh, hell. You know, and so Kenny quit. He says, nothing's happening. I got to quit. I got to get out of here. I got to see if I can make something happen. Mm -hmm. So Kenny joins a band from Michigan. But when he joined the band in Michigan. I'm from Michigan originally. Are you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, he joins this band in Michigan and they're going to Traverse City. They're going to all these little cities playing in a band. Yeah. And he's actually making money. He would come home and give me money. Because I, I didn't have any money. Nothing was happening for me. Yeah, yeah. And he says, hey, you know, I'm, he said, in the meantime, I'm going to Cincinnati and I'm working on songs with Midnight Star. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, it's kind of going kind of good. And I knew Midnight Star because they used to come to Indianapolis and play in the clubs. Okay. So we all knew each other. The Deal, Midnight Star, we were all friends. So he says, hey, uh, I've been working on songs. I said, OK, that's cool. So then one day he says, hey, I wrote this song. For Midnight Star with Bo called Slow Jam. And I'm like, really? So let me hear it. So he plays. I said, wow, that's incredible. So Slow Jam, Midnight Star, take off. You know, no parking on the dance floor is a big album. They take off. Kenny has this song on yeah. there. He gets his first gold album. You would have thought I had a gold album. I was so happy. I'd never seen a gold album before. I was so happy for Kenny. We drove around showing people. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of cheesy now that I think about it because it's really not our personality. But I think we yeah. we never dreamed that that could happen right. to one of us. So it happened for him. But I was just as damn happy. And I remember when I went to my house to show my parents, I'll never forget what my dad said. He said, I knew you were going to get one. He said, because you were so happy for Kenny. 
He said, you were so happy for Kenny. He said, I knew you were going to have one one day. And that always stuck with me. And so that developed. So then Kenny, while he's in Cincinnati, this group, The Deal, he's working with them as well. Yeah. And they asked him to join The Deal. Hey, why don't you come play with us? You're writing songs. Because it was all part of the Midnight Star camp. You know, The Deal was under their wing. They were producing The Deal album. And so Kenny yeah. joined them. Yeah. So he calls me, says, hey, I joined this group called The Deal. Do you want to come aboard as a player and write songs? I'm like, are you kidding? So I immediately packed up my <laughs> stuff. They came and got me in a band, took me back to Cincinnati. And from there, that's what really started the really successful songwriting where we just, he, L.A., and I just rolled up our sleeves. And we just, it's all we did 24-7. I mean, it yeah. was nonstop. It was nonstop. So eventually went to Los Angeles. You know that old story. You got to go to California, New York to make it. All right. So we, Kenny had an aunt in Los Angeles. Kenny packed up his little Chevy Nova. <clears throat> he drove with his wife. We made it happen, you know. And yeah. um, Kenny in L.A. had written a song called Rocksteady for the Whispers. I had written a song called In the Mood. And Kenny goes, the Whispers, they've recorded our song Rocksteady, and they want to record your song In the Mood. I'm like, no way. Get out of here. He goes, no, yeah. they want to record your song In the Mood, so we got to get busy. And I had actually gone back to Cincinnati for a little while because they couldn't afford to keep me out there. So once they started making a little money, they got me a ticket, flew me back. They said, hey, we got to get busy. We're starting to get calls from people. Yeah. And it was just, uh, it was a whirlwind. I mean, it was we stayed in an apartment, all of us together. I slept in the room with the music on the floor. I mean, L.A. would be like, hey, uh, this guy named James Ingram's going to come by and listen to songs. I'm like, oh, OK. Hey, this girl, Paula Abdul, is coming by to listen to some songs. <laughs> this lady, uh, Karen White, is going to come by and listen to some songs we have. I mean, it was all these people. Johnny Gill, Karen White. Yeah. And they'd be coming. I'd stand in the room and say, Daryl, sing it. And I sang Knocked Out for Paula. She liked it. And Kenny and I would sing because we didn't record it. We just would sing them out of the air. We would right. write them. We'd write the lyrics, put the melodies on tape recorders. And it was crazy. I mean, people were in and out of that apartment. And yeah. next thing I know, we were just recording like crazy. And That's so cool. I didn't even want to be a producer. They made me a producer because they had so much work. They right. said, dude, you got to help us with some of these projects and we can't do it all. So we need mm -hmm. you to go down to Silver Lake and record these little boys. I'm like, okay. okay. So I recorded the boys, the group called The Boys, Dial My okay. Heart. I went down there and did what they threw me in the fire. Wow. I'm nervous that's, as hell. That's got cool. The, <laughs> got the parents breathing on my neck. When is this one going to sing? How come this one isn't singing? Mm -hmm. And uh, it just was, it just snowballed from there. It actually just snowballed. It was so crazy that I don't, we didn't even realize what was happening. It just was nonstop music, recording, that's, writing. Oh, I love it. I mean, all around the clock. I mean, I'm saying literally all around the clock. Because L.A. could be at the studio doing vocals. Kenny and I would be at the apartment writing. Yeah. Or Kenny and I could be there and L.A. would be mixing at another studio. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We'd have yeah. two to three studios going. We'd be recording at Studio Masters on Beverly. L.A. would have a mix going at Lar Larrabee on Santa Monica. Wow. We may have something else out at Encore in the Valley. Yeah. You know, hey, go out there to Encore and record the vocals for Ready and Out with After Seven. I'm like, okay. I jump in the car. And I'd go do that. Like, <laughs> yeah. okay, we're going over here with Pebbles. So you do these ad libs for Superwoman with Karen. I'm like, okay. I mean, it was just literally like, just, it was nonstop. Literally, it was a nonstop machine. Nobody had any girlfriends, no kids. Yeah. No responsibilities, really. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what it was until we finally got tired of being in L.A. after six years. And L.A. said, you know what? He said, we should start our own record company. And I was like, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. I remember it. I remember it. He doesn't remember it. I remember it. I told him, I said, you came <laughs> into the apartment one night. You were slamming shit, cursing. And me and Kenny walked there and said, what's wrong? He goes, man, we're making these record companies millions. And they're giving us peanuts. So we need to start our own shit. And I was like, okay, you know, how do we do that? Yeah. Probably a, probably a week later, he said, pack up your shit. We're moving to Atlanta. I was like, Atlanta? Why are we moving to Atlanta? I heard that Atlanta's a growing city, and there's three women to every man. 
So we're moving to Atlanta. I'm like, okay, that sounds good to me. I mean, Big Sam yeah. and I came by and put all our shit, trailer, put all our cars on it. And we moved to Atlanta. I'm like, okay, where are all these women? I ain't met no women. <laughs> yeah. All these great women, you know? There's all these beautiful black women you told me about, you know? Shit never happened. And yeah. you know, we just set up camp here in Atlanta and the floodgates opened. People came to Atlanta. I mean, it's, it's actually a crazy story. I mean, it really should be told because it is so crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we couldn't even come out of the office building to go to your car. Kids would be down there. Can I sing for you? Can I give you a demo tape? Say, okay, go ahead. Sure. I mean, yeah. when I think about the people, you know, left, I said she drove from Philadelphia when she heard we were there. She got in the car, drove to Philadelphia. Wow. You could get to Atlanta by car. Yeah. You, know, you, you didn't have to afford a $3,000 plane ticket to go to California. So that's people true. drove. We were, we were accessible to people. And that's what happened. A lot of people just migrated to Atlanta to, to meet us. And man, it was, I mean, we didn't really have to have auditions. Kids just showed up. Yeah. They, just, they just showed up. They were just there in the parking lot, in the lobby. You know, it was, uh, it was crazy. I mean, L.A. had a brother. I remember he brought Usher to the to, to La Face and he said, hey, I'm thinking about signing this kid. I want y'all to see him. And me and Kenny went in the room. I said, OK, he's a cool little dude. He sang for us. I said, OK, he's got an OK voice. I said, he said, what y'all think? I said, I think you should sign him. He's cool. I like him. He's just a cool little. He was 13. Mm-hmm. Just a cool wow. little kid. <laughs> and I said, damn, that's cool. You know, and one day I came to the office and I wasn't there. He said, hey. We got this girl named Tony Braxton. They brought the group by, but we didn't like them. But you're going to love Tony. You, I, we know you're going to love her voice. And I said, okay. When I met her and heard her voice, I just like, still today, it's my favorite. It is my favorite voice to record and hear it back to this day. It is just so cool. It is just an unbelievable voice to me coming back through the speaker. You know what I mean? Oh, for so sure. That was it. That, that was, that's how we got here. That's, that's so cool. Really, no plan. When we first got here, we felt like we made a mistake. We were flying back and forth every week to Los Angeles because we didn't have a studio. Right. Nobody was here. It's mm-hmm. like, I remember Pebble saying, why did we move here if we're going back to L.A. every other week? And I was <laughs> like, it was like, damn, why did we move here? Right. But eventually, yeah. one by one, everybody came. And when they came, they loved Atlanta. See, nobody had been to Atlanta. Yeah. So when we brought them down here. Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown ended up moving. Remember? He moved to Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. We brought Bobby Brown down. We brought Johnny Gill. Everybody came to Atlanta and they loved it. Yeah. You know? So only person wouldn't come was Michael Jackson. He wouldn't come. I want you guys to come to LA for two weeks. And that's what we did. We went back to LA for two weeks to where he's the only artist that wouldn't come to Atlanta to work. But he was I, Michael Jackson, so we, you know, we you, packed up and went out there for him. It was like totally. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. How yeah. was it working with Michael Jackson? It wasn't great. It's a really, in my book, I'm going to have a chapter that says Michael Jackson. Yeah. I was so excited. I was so excited. And I didn't even think I was going to get to go. LA said, well, we're going to take you with us because, you know, you're part of the team. And I said, okay, cool. Great. I was ecstatic. told my mom. Right. I never told my mom things that I worked on. But this was Michael Jackson. Right. And yeah. we packed up. He said, well, Michael wants us to come for two weeks and, you know, said, OK, we're going to go. We'll give him two weeks. We told him we only have two weeks because we have all this other work going on as well. So we could only give him two weeks since he wouldn't come to Atlanta. So we went and we set up shop, I think, at a place called Can-Am Studios, somewhere out in the valley. OK. And he had Teddy Riley around the corner in another studio. Okay. So it was us and Teddy. First day, Michael no show. Second day, Michael no show. But at the third day, he shows up, comes in. I can tell you two guys are from Indiana, your sense of humor. You and you, I can tell you're the ones from Indiana. I say, yep, from Indiana, just like you. What's up? If I could have you guys' melodies and Teddy's beats. And L.A. was like, I don't know about that. You know, L.A. is very brash. I don't know, man. We do what we do. So, you know, we're working on songs, cranking out songs for Michael. We finally come up with, we wrote like, I don't know, maybe just say we wrote eight songs. He loved one called Slave to the Yeah. Room. And uh, so he, we, we started recording. And so we'd be recording and Michael would be on the mic. He'd be singing. All of a sudden he'd disappear. 
It's like, what the hell? Where'd he go? We get a, somebody would come in the room with a post-it note, and the note would say, Michael's done for the day. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, yeah. he, like, he wouldn't tell us. All of a sudden, he's, out, he's not in the booth. Wow. You know, he's gone. Like, Michael's done for the day. We're like, next day, he's got They're running around the studio. Him and Macaulay Culkin during those. And we're sitting there in the control booth like, okay. All right. Ready to work now? Ready to work now, Michael? And he'd work. He'd sing. Worked his ass off. Sing hard. But all of a sudden, we get a note. Michael's done for the day. You know? Yeah. Uh, came in one day. Showed us all his disguises that he wears when he goes out in public. Let me show you. Let me show you. This is the old man that I wear. Never, nobody, nobody knows that it's me. Only the little kids, the little kids, they know it's me. They'll say, Mommy, that's Michael Jackson. That's Michael Jackson. Nobody could tell except the little kids. We're like, okay, that's that's pretty cool, Mike. That's pretty cool. Ready to work? And yeah. long story short, long story short, it just didn't it didn't end well. He ended up not yeah. using the song and we had other things going on. We actually had Tony Braxton on Sunset in a studio called Suma. We were working on another sad love song, Breathe Again. Yeah. We, we had started her album. And so we just like, we broke camp and uh, we went around the corner, started working with Tony. And uh, But years later, when he passed away, LA did a posthumous album when LA was at Sony and he put Slave to the Rhythm on that album. Okay. So, but it was so disappointing. I can say it was disappointing right. because yeah. this was Michael Jackson. I had told people, people were like, I thought you said you worked with Michael Jackson. I didn't see your name. I didn't see your song on there. And, you know, because Teddy had done the song Remember the Time. And it was a great song on that album. It was that album. Yeah. And uh, it was the big video with Magic Johnson and mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy, I think, was in the video. All these people. And I was I so disappointed that. and hurt because here, here it was. We worked with him, but he didn't use our song. And it was so disappointing. Like, that, that didn't happen to us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't because of the song. It was just due to, I think, creative differences at the time. I think we were, I say we, but really L.A. and Kenny were the producers where they put their foot down. They said, no, we're not going to do this. This is, if you hired us, this is how we're going to do it. Let us do our job. Yeah. And um, we came in one day and Michael was already working before we got there. And that's how it ended. He was already recording working on our music. Nobody ever did that. We didn't allow people to, you know, that just didn't happen. Yeah. So, but I was glad that I got to meet him. I talked to him, you know, I would talk to him from time to time a little bit. He'd come in the lounge. And um, so it it was still a good experience Mm -hmm. of working with him and meeting him and seeing him up close and personal. Kenny ended up, I think he worked with him again by himself, but I, I don't even think that came out. I don't even remember what it was years later. Yeah, but uh, that was my Michael Jackson experience. What I thought was going to be the greatest moment of my career turned out to be one of the worst. Ironically, people wouldn't believe it. Yeah, you know, they wouldn't yeah. believe how 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 sour it ended up being. Still okay. glad that I got to meet him. Yeah, and work with him. He was a funny guy. He was truly was a kid. He truly was a kid in every sense of the word. Every sense of the word. He come in with these little trick things. Yeah. No, use use my pen. No, use this one. Use this one. Okay, I'll use it. <clears throat> I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah. I got you. You fell yeah. for it. Yeah, Michael, I fell for it. You ready to I've, work? Right. Yeah. But literally, and so I sort of felt a little sad in a way because it was true. Yeah. I got to see it for myself that he was truly a big kid that never really had that chance to. To grow up. If you think about the records he made when he was eight, nine years old, right? He was he was biggest star in the world. He was, yeah. You know, yeah. And couldn't go anywhere. Only stay in the confounds of your of your house. He actually drove to the studio. Funny story. He drove to the studio one day. So we get a note once again. Uh, Michael's running late because he got in a wreck. And like, oh my okay. gosh! So he's driving this big white suburban. And yeah. The bit the, the engineer Bruce Swedine comes in and goes. Well, Michael got in a wreck and he's scared to get out of the car. So somebody's got to go over there and get him. I'm saying I was sitting there to myself like this. I said, why is Michael Jackson driving a big suburban to the studio? That's all I, that's all I can think about. Right? Was, why is he driving yeah. this big suburban to the studio? This doesn't seem real. This is crazy. Yeah. 
my Michael Jackson story. That's it. How was working with Whitney Houston? You worked on Queen of the Night and Yeah. Yep. Ah. Whitney was the best. Whitney was the best. Whitney was Whitney had become friends. We all had she had become friends with LA's wife Pebble. So she spent a lot of time down here, even not working. Once again, that's how she ended up down here. But you know, yeah. she came down here to work and ended up staying. Her and Bobby got married, bought a house. So I would just see her at LA's house, just in the kitchen. Hey Whitney, hey. You know, yeah. but she was she was great in the sense that only two people could sing from top to bottom and give you everything you needed. And that's Whitney and Aretha Franklin. Where you stand there and go, Yeah. Okay then. <laughs> I guess I, I guess we're kind of finished. Yeah. The only two people that could go from top to bottom <laughs> and give you the verses, the ad libs, the outro. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that's the first time that I had seen that. And I was like, my mouth hung open. I'm like, damn, she just sung the whole song from top to bottom, didn't stop, and sang the ad-libs at the end, too. Mm-hmm. But she was she was a lot of fun. She was a big kid as well. The whole gowns, all the whole gowns that Clyde put her in, that was just the facade. That was the that yeah. was the broad, the Broadway stage Whitney. But the real Whitney was she was just so much fun, crazy, fun, funny. She didn't like me and Kenny because we were Aries men. She didn't like the fact that we were Aries. She didn't like Aries men. Ooh, here come them Aries men. I can't stand no Aries men. Ooh, here they come. Look at them. <laughs> and me and Kenny would be like, what? What's wrong with the Aries man? Ooh, I don't like no Aries man. Oh. That was that was her thing. I, we don't know. We can't figure out why, but she didn't like an Aries man. So but she was fun. She was a lot of fun. Yeah. I called them Bonnie and Clyde. That was my nickname. They were yeah. Bonnie and Clyde. They'd get upstairs and wrestle, play fight. They'd yeah. Wrestle. She'd come downstairs. Woo. Bobby thought he could take me. I couldn't let him take me, though. I took him down. I took, y'all ready to work? Woo. She'd be sweating <laughs> and that was sweat across the top of her lip that she would always get. But uh, just so incredible. Just, I, just the most incredibly voice that I had ever heard still to this day. It still hurts my soul that, you know, she's not here because it's just totally gone too soon. Mm -hmm. An incredible instrument that she had was just, she basically, she kind of pulled Queen of the Night together for us because we were, it was a situation where, you know, we we didn't write from titles. Right. Kevin Kevin Costner had the title. I need a song called Queen of the Night. And L.A. was like, man, we don't write from titles. We'll come up with our own shit. No, no, I need a song called Queen of the Night. So that pigeonholed us to like right. Queen of the Night. How the hell? Because you know we write from the music speaking to us, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We have music first. Okay, what's the music saying? Either there's a melody in there that we we pull from that melody, mm-hmm. and then we can it speaks to us. But here somebody's giving you a title, and I'm like, and it's the first time that it, the light bulb went off where I said. This is a, Elton John is incredibly talented because that's how he and Bernie talk and write. Bernie writes the lyrics and go, here you go, Elton. These lyrics need music. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, how in the hell did Elton craft the great songs that he crafted from him giving him the lyric already? To me, that's like a whole nother level. Oh, of, it is. Of, it totally oh, I, is. I, when I watched that movie, I was like, wow. It's like, how did you think of this from hearing this candle in the wind or Benny and the jets or Philadelphia freedom. How did you come up with that melody and know that that music, that to me is a whole nother talent. So anyway, Kevin Costner gives us a title and we struggled. We struggled and Whitney came in there with us and me, Whitney and LA. And I don't know if it was Kenny's idea or Whitney's idea to say, you know what? We need a, this is supposed to be rock. We need we need to get a rock guy in here. So we got yeah, this white. There are a lot of like guitars yeah. like yeah, yeah. in the production, so we a, and so, it's very yeah. rock. Yeah, right. So because Ken they hired a rock man in the backgrounds with him, and we laid him on top to give it that because that's what they wanted. But Whitney was there like the whole time, and usually we didn't need anybody. We could you know we could always crank it out ourselves. There was no doubt. But for some reason, I think because we had a title given to us, we were just like what the hell you know and so yeah she 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 got in the trenches with us and and we cranked it out and that's what i think about i think about 
we were over at Larrabee West, I think, and Whitney stayed the whole time. Bobby was trying to leave and go on a vacation or something. And she's like, no, Bobby, I got to stay. I got to stay. You know, and she stayed and worked on it. And uh, I, I'm, wow. I'm proud of that, that we co-did that together. That was fun to do that together. And every now and then I'll get a, you know, have to sign off on a release for licensing. And I'll see, mm-hmm. you know, written by Whitney Houston, Daryl Simmons, Kenny Edmonds, L.A. Resident. That, that was kind of, that was a cool a cool thing because that's the only thing I ever co-wrote with her or did anything you know yeah. Kenny did X Kenny did exhale but he did that by himself so that was sort of like my Whitney moment for me you know it was really cool yeah a lot of fun though you've gotten to work with like so many amazing artists like I just remember like watching MTV watch like boys to men and Tony mm-hmm. Braxton and everything so yeah. how how have you yeah. How has like the industry changed? I mean, you've seen into the digital age of every, like, how has that impacted you? How, um, like, how is that? Ju- it's yeah. different. Like everything's different. Like when we came along things, we made things different from the early seventies, you know, but I think the operative word that you said was digital. I think it became digital. And I think a lot of the raw emotions went away from records. You know, there are a lot of good records, but the majority, uh, what the digital world did was made it so easy. The digital world made it where everyone sounded the same because everyone could sound good. And that, yeah, that I frown yeah. upon. I Once again, I appreciate the technology of it, but the negative side to it to me was that it took away people's, their quality of their voice and their being distinct. Like I love LMA, I love SZA, and I love her. All three of those girls I love, but they mm-hmm. all sound so similar to me. None of them stands out yeah. above the other, but they're all very good. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Bobby Brown had a sound. Why? Because Bobby Brown didn't sing that well. He had a sound because he didn't. he wasn't a great singer. He was a great performer who happened to be able to sing okay enough to get the point across. He sang with emotion and feeling, but he didn't have like this great, great voice. But that's what the Bobby Brown sound was. Nobody could have done every little step. Rock with you. Roni. Don't be cruel. They couldn't have done it. Because it was Bobby's attitude and the way his voice sounded, just like Tony Braxton. Tony Braxton has a a sound. That's why I love her voice so much, because it's a beautiful, golden, warm sound you know and what technology has done is taken a lot of that away not the talent of people but it's taken that part away that when i hear the records they all are even keeled they sound very very similar to me so that's like i said that's just my take on it you know uh, not hating on anybody or anybody's success but that's the part i miss i just miss i miss the raw I miss the perfect imperfections. Like when you listen to record, like when I listen to Bobby's records in the car, I'll, something will come on like, damn, he sure was sharp right there. Damn, he sure was flat on that note. But you know what? It felt so good and he sang it with so much heart and emotion. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Because it's because it's heartfelt. I can't nitpick right. it. Why? Because he sang it with all his damn emotion. So I'm not going to nitpick that he was sharp or flat, but that's what made it what it was. Because it wasn't perfect. You know right. what I mean? Where now yeah. records are perfect. Yeah. Everybody's in tune. Auto-tune. Yeah. Auto-tune. That's my point. I didn't want to say the word, but you said <laughs> yeah, it. I said <laughs> it. You did it. I said it. <laughs> you said it. You said the A word. I did. <laughs> you said the A word. <laughs> so that's that's what it was. I think it's why I like Adele. Adele seems like she comes from our, you know what I mean? We would have worked with Adele. We would have given Adele great songs, you know, yeah. and I think that's why I, I like her because I hear it. I feel it. There's no, I don't feel like it's been distracted by anything. You know, uh, her voice is wonderful. Right. It's beautiful yeah. voice, the motion, the lyrics are great. That's the only thing for me. It's just the digital world made everything so microwavable. Someone asked me once, he said, well, if you guys didn't have auto-tune, how did you get the singers to get it right? I said, we tell them to come back tomorrow. They said, really? I said, yeah. There's days Tony Braxton wasn't happening. I'm like, hey, Tony, 
see you tomorrow. She'd be like, really? I go, yeah. She goes, can I try it one more time? I go, you can try it one more time, but I ain't going to use it. She goes, yeah. ooh, really? I said, yeah, go ahead. And she'd do it, and I turned my back like this and read a magazine. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you done? Okay, see you tomorrow. <laughs> and she'd come back the next day. I said, okay, now we're happening. I said, listen to this. She goes, ooh, is that me? I said, yeah, that's from yesterday. We had to keep working on it until we got it right. Um, that's That was my answer. There was no machine to fix it. We yeah. had to fix it by continuing to do the work until we got it right. And that's yeah. what we did. And we work on we work on two lines for two hours if it took that. We would do it because that's what it took. That's, that's and when you yeah. hear the songs back now, you hear it. So everything that we've done, I'm so proud of because I know how much work we put into it, that we did it physically. We played it. We recorded it. L.A. even mastered it. I go to mastering with him. He mastered it to make sure at the very end, before it went to press, that it was right. And yeah. we did that from ground up. And now when I see Kenny just told me yesterday, we had this song out, this song that he did with this guy, uh, Luke or something. Uh, I think I messed up. There we go. And he said, he said he looked at it and there's so many names on it because it's got our names. Yeah. Use the song. And then you got the new writers. Yeah. Who did what they did. So there's like six names on it. Yeah. Going, wow. Songwriters don't make nothing nowadays because they sample stuff and all the streaming. And so I'm yeah. very proud of everything that we did because I know how much blood, sweat and tears that went into it. Totally. There was no cheating. There yeah. was no sh there was no shortcut. I would get in the booth. Kenny like, go in there. She's not singing it. You go in there and sing it. I'm like, okay, we're not going to put your name down on the record. Just go sing it because she's not singing it right. I'm like, okay, I'll go sing it. And Kenny would sing. Right. Lot. Yeah. So in L.A. would mix and he would keep mixing. He'd start at night. And we'd get up in the morning and go around the studio at 10 a.m. He's still sitting there. Wow. Still sitting there. It's like, dude, wow. what are you doing? It's not right. It's just not right yet. And just checking it, double checking it. Like I said, I, I'm yeah. proud of every, everything that we that we did. Everything. There's nothing that I hear that I that I'm not proud of. Nothing. Yeah. Because I know we because we put the time into it to make sure that it was right. It's so good. You yeah. Know, and I tell and I tell kids. I said you better make sure it's right because once it's gone, it's history. You can't pull it back in. Once it's out there in the universe right. and it's released, I said you can't say, oh, I wish I had done this. I'm like. No, I don't wish yeah. I had done anything. Yeah. Any record I hear, I go, damn, that's a good record. I still get chills when I hear Boys to Men, End of the Road. When I hear Wanye oh, at the end of that song, song. <laughs> when I hear him at the end of the yeah. song go, oh, my God, oh, my God. I go, damn, I, the hair still stands up. Right? I remember the night he sung it because he didn't uh, have a voice. His yeah. voice was gone. And we made him, L.A. made him sing it. I'm not going to say I made him sing it. L.A. made him sing it. With a raw, his throat was raw. Wow. But you know what? It's like, okay, I'll stand behind that. Mm -hmm. I still like that. That's still good work. That's so, so good. Uh, yeah, got to keep working at it, man. Keep working. Yeah. Do you have any other advice for artists or songwriters? Don't get so attached to your own songs. You know, people, you know, they'll say, oh, I, I go to seminar or something or sit on a panel. And the kids will say, I have 100 songs. And I'll tell them, well, all of them aren't any good. And I'll ask them, how many songs do you think I have? And they'll guess. And I'll tell them, I'll say, I have three songs right now that I'm working on. And I'll say, out of those three, only one is the record. Because all that matters is that one. Not that you have 100. I said, so take that 100, yeah. cut it in half. Take that 50, cut that in half. Take 25, cut that in half. Give me your top 10. Okay, now give me your top five. Okay. Now pick the best songs out of five. And you might have, you might have one really great idea, maybe, because it doesn't work that way. It's not that simple to do it. It's not that simple. I could write a song every day just to say I wrote a song every day, but it would be crap. Mm, so the yeah. ones that I write, if they're not good, guess what? Nobody's going to hear them. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to say, oh, I, had, I wrote 10 songs this week. No, no, no. I'm going to play you the one song that I know is the record. The only yeah. one that counts, because that's all that matters is one. The one, yeah. That's why I tell them, I said, think about it. Why, why do we have the term one hit wonder? Where does it come from? 
because someone wrote one phenomenal song in their life and it changed their life. And that song still plays today. But think if they hadn't written that one and they had written 50 mediocre songs. You know what I'm saying? One of the greatest songs ever written is When a Man Loves a Woman. Percy Sledge never wrote another one. But what a what a song to write. Mm-hmm. What one song to write. One song. Think about that. One song. And that's how I break it down. It, the only thing that matters is that one song. Not 10, 15. I got 25 songs. I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't have that many. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Yeah. But but I can tell you one thing. I bet you one of my songs will become a record before one of yours does. One of your hundred. Yeah. Yeah, I'm only I'm only focusing on what matters, what counts. And that's the good ones. Can you say you have to go through the failures to get to the successes? It's true. You do. You do. He, he'll write an album two times before he arrives at that final album. And yeah. I've been a part of it and I get frustrated. I think it's damn good. I'll yeah. come back home. He'll yeah. call me. Yeah. You know, I was listening to such and such. I said, I don't know. I just don't. So I think I think I'm gonna write something new. It just seemed like it's just not that strong. I was like, OK. Because he never quits. It's, it, he never quits. Yeah. You know? This and that's so, my advice. Yeah. Never quit. I would tell young, don't quit. Don't let your mama hear it, your brother, your sister. They're going to tell you that they love it. They're going to tell you. Walk up to okay. a random person and say, hey, a friend of mine yeah. wrote this song. What do you think? Yeah. And see what answer you, because you want the real answer. You want oh, the yeah. answer that's going to hurt. You want somebody to tell you, yes. that sounds like crap. <laughs> oh, it does? Okay, thank you. Let me go back to the drawing board. Yeah. I'm I'm a new like I'm I discovered last year that I'm a songwriter and I've been writing mm-hmm. a lot. So like hearing this for me is like really good because like I've been just trying to write and write and write. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is this is really yeah. good you, you, I mean it's just you can't let your friends and all these everybody's got your boyfriend, your girlfriend, they're gonna tell you it's oh it's incredible, you're great, that's a great song. It's like okay. Well let's go see somebody that doesn't know me that has no ties let's see what they really think yeah because that's what you want that's true you gotta be you're not gonna get better if you don't hear that you're not gonna get better i heard it trust me i heard it (laughs) a lot of years yeah trust me and it just makes you for me makes me go back to the drawing board to say i mean clive was back then when they had a fax machine i'd send clive a song and the pay he would send the fax back and it would be so marked up (laughs) daryl now, I'm going to tell you, Daryl, this isn't your A song. I need your A song, Daryl. This is this is a B song. It's pretty good, but I need your A song. And he would have it all. Awesome. like, okay, Clyde. Yeah. And I'd, go, and I'd go back, and I'd keep working until he'd call back. goes, now, this is it, Daryl. This is a great copyright. This is exactly what I was looking for. He was a song man. Yeah. He was truthful yeah. because it's all about the song. It's not an ego. Yeah. It's, not yeah. that Jen, it's not that Jen wrote it. Yeah, it's 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 that will the world love it? They don't know. Yeah. who they don't know who wrote it. They don't know me. They'll say, oh, I like your song, Tony Braxton. I love uh, another sad love song, Tony Braxton. I love your song. And mm-hmm. you have to be able to let it make sure Kenny will say, OK, read the lyrics and I'll read the lyrics. He goes, OK, we understand it, but will everybody else understand it? And I go, mm, I think we got to make the second verse a little simpler and clearer because I don't think they're going to get it. I'm like, yeah, okay. Rather than us saying, oh, it's great. We love it. We don't care. It's like, no, it has to be universal. Everyone has to love it. Everyone has to want to sing it. Right. It's like my greatest joy is pulling up to a stoplight and one of the songs is on. And, you know, I'm just sitting there and I'm just looking over. They're going, can we talk for a minute? Girl, I want to know your name. Can't. And I'm just sitting there going, cool, I like that shit. <laughs> yeah. I like that shit. Yeah. You know, I'll just maybe wave and just pull off. That's the yeah. greatest thrills to hear something that you wrote that the world sings. Yes. That the whole world sings. Oh, that the totally. whole world yeah. sings. And the first time I felt that was I went to a Bobby Brown concert. And Bobby, you know, had recorded all the songs and Bobby was in Hawaii. We were all there on vacation. So, hey, Bobby's in Honolulu. Let's go to the show. It's like, OK, cool. So we all go to the show. They whisk us up on the stage backstage. We're standing on the side. And about this time, Rockwood comes on and the whole stadium is full. You couldn't hear Bobby singing it. You couldn't oh, yeah. hear him singing it. 
yeah. and the chill bumps on my arm. I mean, I actually wanted to cry because that's the first time I heard somebody sing something that I had written. And I had written the lyrics on a napkin. And Kenny yeah. saw him in, the, in an apartment. And Kenny said, what's this? I said, oh, just the idea goes, damn, I like those lyrics. And Kenny crafted the track and, of course, does everything that he does. And I stood there and I said, damn, they don't even know I wrote those lyrics on a napkin. And everybody in that arena was singing what I had, had written. And that, for a songwriter yeah. to me, is the greatest thrill. I don't have to be on the stage. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be on the stage. I, I've never wanted to be yeah. an artist. But to have somebody yeah. sing something that I wrote, to hear something that I wrote on the radio or pull up next to a girl who's singing at the top of her lungs, something that I wrote, that's my payoff. Mm-hmm. That's the payoff for me as, as a songwriter. That's my thrill to know that that song started with a blank canvas. It started out of thin air, nothing. Yeah. And yeah. I made somebody sing that. To me, that's the, that's the greatest thrill of a songwriter for me. You know, that, I, I don't that, know if you've ever seen the movie Crazy Heart. Have you seen the movie Crazy Heart? I think I have, yeah. Uh-huh. With Jeff Bridges, he won an Academy yes. Award for it. Yes, yes. And, mm-hmm. and, he, and, he, and he makes, and he meets the girl, Jake Gyllenhaal's sister, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, in oh, the yeah. movie. And he's at her house, and he's playing the guitar. And so he's, you know, he's working on a little idea. You know, it reminds me so much of Kenny, you know, sitting there with a melody. And he's on the bed, and she goes, what's that? That's nice. And he goes, you ever heard it before? She goes, it does sound familiar. And he says, all the good ones do. And I said, damn, that's it. It's yeah, like you, yeah. it's so good that you know, it feels like you've heard it before. That's how, that's when you know it's good. And that, he just looked up and said, all the good ones do. They make, <laughs> they make you think like you've heard them before. I can watch that movie so over true. and over because it's so true. Cause he's such a true songwriter. And when he meets the guy Colin Farrell, who's the new young country singer, and they're in a restaurant, and the guy stops. He says, can I have a, a autograph, Mr. I forget what his name was in the movie. And Colin Farrell, he, he signs it, but then he pushes the paper to Bad Blake. That was his name in the movie, Bad Blake. Okay. He says, he says this is the autograph you want. Bad Blake said, he's the one who wrote all the songs. And the young kid goes, oh, cool. But he wanted the stars autograph and then when he leaves Colin Farrell the girls are screaming and they want to take a picture but I love the movie because Bad Blake Jeff Bridges he stuck to his character he never wanted to be a star yeah he was a songwriter from fucking grit from the bottom of songwriting core lore yeah he stuck with I'm a songwriter I'm a songwriter man that's what I do and that's what I tell people I write songs I know how to write songs. I make. I don't know nothing about no fashion. I don't yeah. know nothing about no dancing. I said, but I know how to make records. And I know that I do it well. Not bragging or having an ego. I'm saying, me yeah. staying in my lane, because I've always stayed in my lane, that's mm-hmm. what I do. You know, I'm a songwriter. And that's why I can relate to Crazy Heart, because he's, he stayed with it. You know, he said, Bad Blake, you need to write yourself out of this. What are you doing, man? You're drunk. You ain't got no money. He said, you need to give me some songs, man. He said, give mm-hmm. me some songs. That's what he says. Give me some songs, man. And he did. And he came up with it. And I think at the end of the movie, he gives the girl, he wants to give the girl his royalty check. I think it's like about $2 million or something. It's crazy amount of this royalty check. And yeah. I said, that's what I'm talking about. He just tucked it in his pocket and walked off. It's like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a songwriter from heart. That's how I started. It's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I've, never, I've never wavered. You know, it's like, that's my joy, man. Yeah. I mean, so. I mean, I'll do it till the day I die. I, we, I started writing for free. I yeah. always write songs for free. I write because I love writing. And if I get paid for it, that's just icing. Yeah. I, I, I write for the love of writing and seeing if I can come up with it. That's so good. You know? And yeah. on that, I ask this to all my guests. Why do you okay. love music? Why do you love music? I love music because I love creating it. I love creating music. I, I love knowing the fact that I put something out there that touched one person. If it touched one person, we can rerun into people all the time. Man, that song y'all wrote, man, I got married to that song. I did this. I mean, I made a lot yeah. of babies to that song. It's like, okay, man, cool. It <laughs> makes me feel good. And it yeah. does. It makes me yeah. feel good. So if you can write something to me that touches, yeah, we try to touch everybody. 
But the goal is if you can touch one person with something that you wrote, a thought that you had to me, that's like, it's just the greatest joy to me. I mean, even when I hear other songs, I love music. I love songs yeah. that are great songs. Like, damn, that was a great song. I wish I had written that. Yeah. But it's just out of love for songwriting and knowing what it takes and maybe what that songwriter went through to get to that point and how it felt when he knew he had it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think we're, I think we're all connected in that way. You know, us so- yeah. songwriters, not yeah. artists, but just the true songwriter, knowing what we're trying to accomplish and achieve. And if we get there, it's like, that's like the greatest payoff. You know, it's not even the money. That's not, that's not, it's, we don't do it for the money. The yeah. money's the icing. I always say, well, if it's good, then you'll just reap the benefits from it if the shit is good. You know, <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah, it's true. You know, yeah. But it's, it's the idea of making it great to where it reaches that point of being on the chart or people are talking, people got, they, I would hear, I'm so damn tired of hearing End of the Road. If I hear that song one more damn time, I'd be like, Great. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Thank you, my man. Yes. And it was. It played forever. It played forever. 13 weeks at number one. We never, it was like the craziest thing to us. It was actually comical to us. Yeah. Because people were sick of it. And we were glad they were sick of it. Yeah. We were so glad they were sick of it. <laughs> Especially when I went to my mailbox. I'm like, damn, end of the road. Okay. All right. All right. That. Yeah. You know, so never write songs for money, write songs for the love of writing a great song. Money is just a, you know, it's just a reward for your hard work. And you don't even know what that's going to be. You know right. what I'm saying? I didn't know, yeah. I didn't know that I could make a living writing songs. I didn't know that a royalty check could be what it could be. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's like, you can make money from doing this, something that I like to do that I do for free. Damn, I can do this. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll never forget my first royalty check. Kenny called me. He says, "Hey, you got a royalty check?" I'm going, "Okay." He said, "It's fourteen thousand dollars." I'm like, "What?" And this time we lived in LA. We're struggling. Yeah, I, I never had five. I never had five hundred dollars at one time in my pocket. Yeah. yeah, and so the royalties had started to come in for Rocksteady and in the mood. And so I met him to get this check. He goes, "But here's the thing." He said, "That's just the beginning." I said, what do you mean the beginning? I said, there's more. He goes, oh, that's just a trickle. He said, that's just a drop in the bucket. And I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, all this money's mine. He goes, yeah. I'm like, I ain't got to share it with nobody. He goes, nope. He said, then you're going to get more. Wow. And I said, damn, you mean for something that I just love to do, they'll pay me this to do it? He goes, yep. And, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's to me, it's the greatest job to me in the world. That's, yeah. Everybody feels that about their business, of course, but for totally, me, because yeah. because you create something that wasn't there. It's like yeah. an artist, like a like a painter who has mm-hmm. a blank canvas. And next thing you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So to me, that's why, because you create it out of thin air. It's it's not, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> basketball player, basketball already existed. Basketball's already invented. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Football, all the sports, the same thing. Greatest job. Coaching, great job. But art, something that hasn't been created, whether it's a sculptor, a painter, a musician, you're creating something that didn't exist, that you yeah. give to the world. To me, that's like, that's crazy to me. You know what I mean? Sometimes I'll tell myself, I'll leave this room sometimes and I go, I'll go downstairs. I go, if I didn't come in this room, I wouldn't have created that song that I did today. That's how I, I put it in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I could have stayed on the couch. I could have been lazy. I could have watched TV. I said, but because I went up to the room today, I came up with this. And I never would have come up with it if I hadn't gone up there and turned the keyboard on. And when you put it into perspective, it's kind of like right. a wow moment. Like, damn, wow. Okay. You know, like an artist, if he hadn't gone in the, yeah. the gallery and just started on that blank canvas, mm-hmm. it was just a blank canvas. Who knew? Yeah. That's what the greatest part of it is, is that it's the unknown. And everything doesn't come out great. It doesn't. Yeah. I'm the first to tell you, it's like, there's more failures for me than winners. Mm-hmm. But if you have a good winner, it far outweighs the failures. At LaFace, we had failures that people don't remember. Jermaine Jackson was a failure. Damien Dame was a failure. 
we had a rap group that was, a th- I put together a, a guy singing group after we had done Boys to Men, A Few Good Men. They failed. Mm-hmm. We had failures with yeah. great songs. Yeah. But, it's, but the winners that we had, Outweighed. Way out by, there's not even close, it outweighs it by a landslide because the winners were so big. You see what I'm saying? They were so big that nobody remembers that. They don't remember it. (laughs) It's true. It's It's so true. When you bring it to people's minds, I'll tell people something. I go, damn, y'all did have them. Whatever happened to them? I said, they didn't happen. They failed. They flopped. But what was successful was TLC, Tony Braxton, Mm -hmm. Usher. Good outcast. You know what I'm saying? I could keep going for forever. Totally. Yeah. Those successes outweighed those four to five that were unsuccessful. Well, how about we do a part two sometime? Yes, definitely. Thanks again to Daryl for being on the show and to the bang ups for the theme music. This has been the I Love Music Podcast with Jen Fedor.